Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at ADCES24.org. Hello, and welcome to the ADCES podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research Manager at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Today I'm talking with a diabetes care and education specialist who has spent her career reaching new heights by embracing lifelong learning. Sandy Berg joins us to discuss the history of diabetes care and education and how now, more than ever before, diabetes care and education specialists can establish themselves as leaders in clinical practice. You'll learn about the rich past of the specialty, the challenges we currently face, and some practical ways to put today's learning into action so you can continue to advance your career and the specialty. Sandy, welcome to the huddle. It's so good to be here. We are so glad you could join today. And I have to say, I really appreciate, I have appreciated working with you over the past year. You bring this really great insight and perspective and historical knowledge to this changing practice of diabetes care and education. And You know, many of the questions that we keep tackling are around how the role of the DCES is changing to reflect our changing health system. So I'm super excited for you to share your insight with our listeners around some of these questions that we've sort of tackled the last year. But before we jump into that conversation, I know many people know you or at least recognize your name. Maybe you can share some background and how you got involved with ADCES. Sure, happy to do that. And and thank you for saying those kind words. I'm not sure if that tells me that I have a great perspective or that I'm just old. But in whatever way you want to look at it, I can't remember a time when I didn't want to be a nurse. And as it turns out, I became a nurse and a teacher. Um, and the, the teacher part of it, I think, became very clear to me when I started in the field of diabetes care and education. I actually started my nursing career in a general intensive care unit. And a few years after that, I went back to school to become a nurse practitioner. After graduation, I started looking for an advanced practice role. I live in a semi-rural area, but there's a pretty large multidisciplinary clinic nearby, and they were looking for an NP for their endocrinology service. Uh, Diabetes was never something I gravitated to before that, so I hesitated a little bit before taking that interview, but I am so glad I took the interview because I knew I'd found my home in diabetes education and management right at the very beginning. I worked with and I learned from three physicians and two other diabetes educators, and this group truly embraced interprofessional care decades before it became fashionable. Within weeks of being hired, I was attending my first ADCES meeting, and I was truly hooked. After about 10 years in clinical practice, I transitioned to a teaching role. 
my thought at the time was that I had a better chance of reaching more people with diabetes if I planted the seeds of diabetes care in new nurses. And I still believe that that was uh, a good a good choice, a good thing to do. You know, I, I love that you use that word bold early on when you were talking about your career, because sometimes you need to be bold to spark change. At least that's my perspective. And especially when you when you tie it to, to your teaching background. You know, you've in past conversations we've had, you've used this term, which just I think just resonates with me is this upping your game. And it resonates with me with where the profession is right now. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? I've never been one to to be happy sitting still or standing still, and uh, and so uh, so I've I've always kind of gone to that next level. Um, after working a little while in the ICU, I went on for a master's degree. After teaching for a little while, I, I went on to uh, to earn a PhD. All the time I was working, I was also volunteering for uh, ADCES, and that's kind of what I mean by uh, by upping my game. There's there's always something there, some spark that that keeps me going. I over. 31 years now in diabetes care and education, I think I've only missed five annual meetings. And uh, and the, the reason for that is that I, I need that energy to to keep me going, to keep me motivated. And that's that's been a real help to me is, is being surrounded by like-minded people. You know, I love the way you put that, can't sit still, because I'm not sure if you know this, but um, you come across so peaceful and yet I know by working with you, the change that you spark. So it's really neat to hear those words. But if I can, you know, switch directions a little bit and talk about this perspective you have, you know, with your experience with ADCES and in the profession, you really set up um, this first chapter of the desk reference. It's you set the tone for the entire book. And I'd love to hear you talk about through the rich past, challenging present, promising future, setting the tone and, and, and where you think we're at right now and where we're going. Maybe we can start with the rich past of diabetes education. Been around for more than 50 years, right? Well, coming up on 50 years anyway, we have so much great history uh, and the roots of diabetes education run deep. I think a lot of credit can be given to Elliot Jocelyn and Donna Letzweiler for their early work promoting and supporting diabetes education, but my hat goes off to the very forward-thinking multidisciplinary group that came together to start the then known as American Association of Diabetes Educators back in 1974. Just think about it for a minute, Kristen. Back then, people with type 1 diabetes were hospitalized at diagnosis for a week or more. Insulin was from an animal source, and there weren't many options. I think there were only four different kinds. One shot a day was common. Targets for success were not all that well-defined. Complications were rampant. Disposable needles and, and syringes were still fairly new to the market. Monitoring was done with urine samples and, and, and food. Well, they didn't talk about meal planning. People learned to follow calorie-controlled exchange diets. I think back in those days, those early diabetes educators must have been lifelines to their patients. You know, then rapid change really started in the 80s. I came on board in, in 1986. And by then, uh, change was already happening. Education was moving to the outpatient side of things, blood glucose and 
hemoglobin A1C monitoring became the standard of care in the 80s. The DCCT began. Uh, human insulin was introduced. Insulin pump therapy really started taking off in the late 80s. There was so much to learn. Change was everywhere. And diabetes educators were in the thick of it, working with patients, families, communities. And I think even equally as important, educating colleagues about diabetes, diabetes care and education. And, you know, here came the 90s and the results of the DCCT came out and revolutionized care for type 1 diabetes. The rates of type 2 diabetes and obesity were exploding. Other major studies, including the UK PDS, were concluding and providing direction and treatment of type 2. Um, diabetes educators were deeply embedded in the research studies and protocols, and they were also engaged in evaluating the holistic impacts of diabetes care and education. Behavior change was identified as the um, outcome of diabetes education, and patient empowerment became the mechanism to achieve healthy choices. And the turn of the century. And in the early 2000s, the AADE7 healthcare behaviors became the way to structure diabetes education. We focused on the chronic care model. The continued focus of empowerment became even more important as the science of diabetes care and management evolved. Technology advanced. New medications were introduced. Social media platforms began to take center stage. And still, at the heart of it all, there were diabetes educators stepping in as experts in diabetes care and education. The specialty grew in pace with the environmental changes. The value of diabetes education was established. Guidelines and competencies for practice were developed and, and then revised to include community health workers. Just recently, those guidelines were streamlined uh, once again. Other professionals, I think, have, have embraced interprofessional care and education in more recent years. But honestly, Kristen, DCES have been doing it for decades. And professional diabetes care and education is a bedrock of what we do. In my 30 years with the association, I can say without hesitation that ADCES has always seemed to adapt well to the environmental changes. And I've seen it most recently in how we are rebranding the specialty. ADCES has adapted to the current environment by repositioning the specialty and the new focus of educational programming. And as we approach our 50th anniversary, why not embrace our new title and showcase our value? I couldn't agree with you more. I've only been working with the association for a few years now, but I don't think that the professionals in this organization give themselves enough credit for how they turn on a dime, um, how they change, how they move forward so quickly. And I'm curious, you know, before we start talking about the challenging present, what do you think it is about the diabetes care and education specialist or, you know, even the association that allows them to do it? I mean, I heard you say being in the thick of it and a lot of times when I interview people, I hear about patient empowerment or putting people with diabetes at the center of the care model. Um, what do you think it is? What is that intrinsic thing that drives our organization and the professionals to, to embrace this change? Well, I have some guesses. I, I don't have any research to support this, but, but I'm, I'm just going to lay it out there. I, I think that we might be our biggest barrier. We know that we are the best for providing all things diabetes related, but I don't think we do a very good job at sharing that information. 
And unless we learn to show that we are the best, we are not going to make the progress we need. Most healthcare institutions are driven by data these days. I don't think I can go anywhere without seeing some sort of dashboard data. Well, we have data. Anyone working in an accredited or recognized diabetes service collects data. We need to use that data to support the argument that we are the best. You know, I think another thing to think about is our interprofessional nature. I think that's one of our biggest strengths, but I also think it presents us with one of our greatest challenges. Because we're an interprofessional group, we are each bound by the laws guiding our primary professional discipline. But it seems to me that when we chose to become diabetes care and education specialists, we made a tacit agreement to focus on our common specialty. And that should allow us to blend our backgrounds and become stronger together. So you talked about, and I totally agree with you, showing showing that we're the best. Like we, we know we're doing the great job. We know we are the best, but we don't really show it. And you talked about data. How, if you were to give advice to any diabetes care and specialists out there and you know, it, it actually might be in the desk reference, but you know, how do they, how do you get that data and how do you show the world? Like, this is what we do and we do it really well because really diabetes is a pandemic. Diabetes is absolutely a pandemic. Uh, and it's, it's uh, one of the, the biggest healthcare challenges, chronic healthcare challenges that, uh, that we face and that we have faced for many years. And, um, as far as getting the information out there, getting the data out there, I, I think we have to do it on a local level. They, they say all politics is local, and I think the same thing is true for growing our practices. We need more, or at least better, grassroots support. It seems to me that the feedback our patients give to their primary care providers about us would be invaluable. I, I have a, uh, a personal story that, that I could share that doesn't reflect well on a colleague, but, but it kind of supports the, the whole need for why we are the best at what we do. Patient education has had kind of a bad reputation, uh, I think, for, uh, for a long time. You know, everybody thinks they can do it. And, uh, and my, my example actually drills down to a clinician I saw several years ago after my visit. I, I got the uh, report of my blood test, lipids, and, uh, and they, were, they were elevated. In my defense, I have a very high HDL, and so that caused the elevation in, in some of the others. But it, anyway, um, instead of uh, referring me to a dietitian, or asking me to come back to the clinic to talk about the, uh, the issue. In the letter that said, your lipids are elevated, uh, the clinician provided me with a pamphlet on a low-fat diet. Not a return visit, not anything else, just a pamphlet, and then recorded that as, uh, as having educated her patient. I think that really says a lot about the state of affairs in, uh, in healthcare just in general. Providing somebody with a pamphlet isn't really good education. What we do in focusing on the individual, in talking to the individual about what it is they're already doing. I was, by the way, already following a fairly low-fat diet, so just saying. We do the assessment. We do the education. We do the follow-up. And our results are pretty darn good. We need to share that information 
with our, our clinical practices so that we can not only support what we're doing, but grow those practices, encourage other clinicians to make referrals to us. You know, I've always been super interested in that bridge of information from the from the speaker to the receiver. And then there's this interpretation or translation piece that must happen. So when you're right, when you're talking about just handing somebody a pamphlet, there's no, there's no way to know how they're interpreting the data, or even if they're even reading a pamphlet that they received. And the value of having a translator or somebody to interpret that data, an educator, and like you said, then moving into, I think it's um, individualization or person-centered care now, where you can really tailor that to somebody's individual needs. And that's the power of medicine, right? It's a big part of it. And I could, I think in some ways, drill that down to relationship-based care also, is that is that we have uh, a strong relationship with, with the people in our practice. And, and that relationship is with our colleagues as well as with the people we serve. So, so yes, I, I think that is at the heart of good medicine, good health care. I know we have so few minutes left, so I want to make sure we keep moving through and we hit all these big topics. Um, challenging presence still, reimbursement, compensation, any, any thoughts there? It's a big topic, and it's something we've been working on for a very long time. Unfortunately, in light of our current national economy, I think it's something we're going to continue to have to work on for, uh, for a very long time. It's going to take more time to move that needle. Now, on the other hand, as bad and as scary as this pandemic has been, it's helping us show how important and necessary telehealth is. And we can keep that momentum on this going. I think that it's hard to capitalize on something that is as scary as this pandemic has been, but there is no better time than now to use telehealth in an effective way and to show how effective it can be. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, when we think about moving forward, you know, showing that something already works, why would we go backwards? So I know it, that's going to be another grassroots effort to make sure that that um, that we can continue to use telehealth even when these national emergencies subside. But it is a great spark to move things forward. You know, in our last couple minutes, promising future, call to action. You know, you write a lot about that in your in your first chapter, and again, that it's outlined sort of outlines the book. What would you say are the big thoughts that you want to leave with people here when you think about the future and calls to action? Well, you know, we're not very good at tooting our own horn, but I think we can demonstrate our leadership in clinical practice by demonstrating our competency and our skills in areas such as technology. We can, we actually are in many cases, uh, and if we're not, we can become the go-to expert uh, in the healthcare system that's uh, that's technology-based. The, the New Art and Science of Diabetes Care and Education book includes new chapters on continuous glucose monitoring, on insulin pumps, on pattern management. Beyond, uh, beyond that, there are, are lots of other ways to, uh, to come up to speed with that. Identify what your, your competencies are, um, what, your, uh, what the gaps in your competencies are, and move forward identifying uh, ways to fill those gaps. Now, my advice, find your voice on the team. Diabetes educators are pretty good at, uh, at, at advocating for people with diabetes. Let's advocate for ourselves too. 
get involved. The, the changes in telehealth are a great example for that. Help make those changes permanent. Don't let the moment pass. With change comes opportunity. Look for the easy wins. I love this piece of advice. Look for the easy wins. Find ways to prove your value. Are you already looking at data? Take the next step. Share it. Look within your organization and find who writes the newsletter. If you're writing a newsletter for your group, include uh, de-identified data. Try to get a regular column in the, in the bigger newsletter if you can. Rotate the themes, medications, diabetes alert day, diabetes month. Focus on something that's important to your patient population. Get your name out there and get your outcomes out there. It can only help your practice. I love that you talked about leadership and finding your voice and getting involved in easy wins. And, you know, lots of times, I think early on too, you talked about technology and that's such a, that's an easy win right there with, I think our current state with behavior science and obviously data driving technology. We're in a place now though, that the technology and science is caught up to, to allow behavior change or behave people who understand behaviors to drive technology. Um, Sandy, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. And uh, again, I really appreciate, I've always appreciated your insight and I'm glad, you know, you had a chance to share it with our, with our broader community. Thank you so much, Kristen. It was great fun. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. I hope today's conversation with Sandy has inspired you to take the next steps to demonstrate your competencies, skills, and leadership in clinical practice. Sandy outlined exactly how you can do this. Buy the latest edition of the Art and Science of Diabetes Care and Education for the latest information on topics like CGM, insulin pumps, and pattern management. Access danatech.org, a comprehensive website of diabetes technology that is free to ADCES members. And always look for the easy wins, ways to get involved and prove your value. However you answer the call to the promising future of diabetes care and education, remember that ADCES membership is your partner and gives you access to the education, networking, and resources to improve your practice and optimize outcomes for your clients. Find out what ADCES can do for you at diabeteseducator.org forward slash join. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.